You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, a USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Welcome to Absolute Empowerment with Jeff Connors. Tonight we have first-round draft choice, all-pro linebacker and Super Bowl champion Robert Jones in the house, and I was uh, privileged and honored to be able to coach Robert in 1991. Uh, we were 11-1. I think I was with Robert about seven or eight months, and it's just uh, an honor and a privilege to have you in the house, Robert. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Coach Connors. I appreciate it so much. Uh, Robert, the, the nature of this podcast, uh, it is a Christian podcast. So we're, uh, we do some testimonies on here and, you know, we talk about a lot of things with regard to, uh, spiritual commitment. Um, even though I spent that seven or eight months with you, you know, we've talked several other times, maybe bits and pieces about things that happened to you as a you know, as a very young man, a very young child, uh, what we like to do is we like to go way back and tell the story of all the things that people who are highly successful overcame in their life to be successful. And then, of course, anything that we can talk about with regard to spiritual power uh, is also something that we want to uh, highlight on the show. Uh, but Robert, if you would, um, I'd really love to go back and have you tell your story because you overcame so many things in your life, so many hurdles, tragic things, and somehow, you know, became one of the most successful people that ever came through East Carolina University. Uh, so where can we start? All right. I I will start right here, Coach Connors. I'm going to say this, um, and I'm going to say it with, you know, with all of my heart because I'm understanding already where this video is going and how it's going to minister to a lot of young athletes and maybe some current athletes, uh, you know, that's playing in the NFL or um, just minister to people. So, um I would say, I would say that uh, I'm going to share some things that that you never knew about, um, that East Carolina never knew about. Um, I'm just ready to share it. But you know, when you believe in God and when you trust God and when you 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 live that life, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. And you got to understand when you're being tested and that you're going through the fire, knowing that if you have the faith that you say you have and you believe the God that we trust and believe in, then he'll bring you through it. So I have a testimony to share with you that even a second chance, when I say a second chance, you know, I've been thinking about a book and all of that stuff. I'm like, 
and calling it the second chance. But I'll start from the beginning and just share with with uh, with you and the in the audience uh, about my life as a young kid. Like, you know, obviously I was I was born to my mother Pearl Inez Jones and born to Benny uh, Jones. And, um, you know, I, I will speed this thing up, but I, I will give you details step by step so people can really see where I came from and the things that I've overcame. Um, but I was born to those two people. My mother was 36. My father was 46 when I was born. And right at about three to four months old, you know, my uncle tells me the stories of all the the fights and marital disputes and domestic violence that they went through um, had gotten to a point where it led to him taking a gun and shooting my mother um, in the chest while she was nursing me. Um, I do not know other than the grace of God, how the bullets missed me, but it missed me because they said I was being nursed when she got shot in the chest by him so either he was a great shooter or it was just the blessing of god that nothing hit me um but it killed her instantly and i was covered in her blood and so when i look at things like that you know already it's like you know covering the blood of jesus because i know y'all heard of that that saying before but i just kind of i just kind of accepted as that's what i was covered by covered by the blood of Jesus. I've, I felt like I've always had um, people looking after me. I've always had people in my corner because I tried to do everything right. Even with you, Coach Connors, I tried to do everything right. And that was show up on time. When you show up on time, when you respect people, when you, you know, give them what they are expecting of you, then they would go miles and miles and miles for you. So I was taught that as a very young kid. So for me, you know, I had a desire. I had a desire to have a family one day because now, you know, instantly as a young baby, I got taken in by my aunt and uncle um, who I'm so thankful for. They took me in and that's the only mom and dad I knew. So I called them mom and dad at three months old. You know, when you're starting to talk and when you're starting to crawl and you're starting to walk, you learn the people around you, you start calling them mom and dad. So I call my aunt, my mom, and I call my dad. I mean, my uncle, my dad. So um, they were blue collared workers. They really didn't have any education, you know, as far as school. They had a lot of common sense. Um, they knew how to survive. They knew how to work jobs. Um, you know, my uncle slash dad was a uh, um he was what I call a, a hustler, man. He did anything he could to to keep our family to keep our family fed and a roof over our head. And you know, I can say I had great Christmases. I had all the things that a little kid would desire, but it was what I knew. I mean, if I didn't know it, and if I didn't know there was more out there, it was okay because it was what I knew. Um, but he made my Christmases great. Um, but he was a hard worker. He taught me everything from yard work to roofing, construction, 
um, all the things that I do today in my business, that's what he taught me. So as I move forward in life, obviously I got interested in, in football and I had the kind of dad that if, if you want to know what kind of dad I had, then go watch the movie fences. And when you watch the movie fences, it is when I said dad, my uncle slash dad, when you watch the movie Fences, I swear Denzel Washington must have must have gone to my hometown, talked to my dad, and just said, hey, tell me about your life. Because that's exactly how I grew up. You know, I had to um, sneak and practice football. I had to, you know, lie and say I'm I'm, you know, I'm staying after school to study or whatever, because from where I was from, there was nobody that really ever made it and done anything successful. So they weren't sports people. My 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 dad, my mom, they weren't the type of people that they looked forward to Friday nights to watch games, any of that stuff. It was it was, you know, work, 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 work. And my dad would tell me, you better get down at the AMP and get your job. You know, and and you know, work in the meat department or something, get a job and get promoted, you know, and maybe you can be a manager or something like that. When you get out of high school, you you know, you have a degree in high school, and then he was more of that guy because that's all he knew. He was a blue collar type guy. And um it it just annoyed me because when I used to watch television and I used to watch those guys playing professional football. I used to say they are human too. They're just like me. How did they get there? So I, I didn't know. But luckily, luckily, you know, I was brave. When I when I say I was brave, I I I was sneaking around, but I was sneaking for good reasons, not sneaking for bad reasons. I never snuck out of the house. I never smoked. I never drank. I never did drugs. I never did none of that. But when I was sneaking, I was sneaking to go practice football. I was sneaking to, you know, do what I wanted to do to pursue my career. So, so people don't know. And it doesn't mean that he was a mean guy. My dad, he, he was mean, but he was a protective guy, but he wasn't being mean from a perspective where, you know, he didn't want me to do anything. He just didn't think and never seen and never knew that anybody could be successful you know, playing sports. So I'm going to just call it what it is. He said, you'd never get anywhere in this world playing football for the white man. So when he said that, I just refused to believe it. I just refused to believe it. Um, so I had a high school coach named Billy Boswell who recognized my talent right away. My education coming from a household where my uncle slash dad quit in the ninth grade and my mom quit in the sixth grade. Um, you know, I, I think my whole school year from first grade to 12th grade, I never had a parent to come do a parent teachers conference to discuss my grades. So coming out of high school, I was, I wasn't prepared at all for anything academically. Um, so for me, it was it was like I want to go play college 
football. And, and so I go talk to my high school coach and he happened to be the defensive coordinator, defensive line coach named Billy Boswell. And, and so he became that father figure away from, from the home. So I looked, I looked up to Billy Boswell because he, he, he was interested in me. He saw a kid that was obedient. He saw a kid that really wanted to do the right thing. So he got me with the right guidance counselors. He got me with the right people. I started taking algebra classes. I started taking geometry classes. I started doing all the things to get eligible, just to be eligible to go to college. And by the time I graduated from high school, um, I do not have all the academic requirements, the core curriculum classes, the GPA to get into a school somewhere. And at that time, East Carolina, Virginia Tech, and a couple other schools that recognized my talent, but all schools but East Carolina pull away from me because I didn't have the academic standards. And so I remember the recruiter at that time, name was Chuck Driesback, was a running back coach. Chuck says, I like you, Robert, and I will. What, what I'm going to do is that we want you to come to East Carolina and you can do a Proposition 48. So Proposition 48 at that time means that the first year you come to East Carolina, um, you know, you won't be eligible. You have to academically prove yourself. And then you can uh, once you prove yourself academically, then you'll be eligible to play the very next year. So instead of going to East Carolina that year, this Billy Boswell um, said, why don't we try Fork Union Military Academy? So I go to Fork Union. I spent a semester there, probably have one of the greatest football years of my life up until that point because I just, I mean, it was unbelievable the way I ran the field. Um, and just did the things I did. By the way, um, they put me in the Fork Union Hall of Fame about four or five years ago, which I was very excited about. And um, John Schumann said I was the best athlete that ever came through Fork Union. But anyway, I had a great year at Fork Union. And then after that year at Fork Union, you know, here it is. I take the SATs and boom, I get the the score I need. I think I score a an 800 on the SATs and I do real well. And next thing you know, I have schools all over and even Virginia Tech to come back. I've been a guy that's been loyal wherever I go and whoever I deal with. I'm just a loyal person. So for me, um, because East Carolina never turned their back on me, I didn't care about the Notre Dames or the UCLA's um, Missouri, uh, um, the schools that offered me scholarships when I came out of Fork Union, and I had them. I think I had ev almost every school except Florida schools that offered me, but my commitment was to the team or to the school or to the people that be at that time, Art Baker and his staff. And so, obviously, I went to East Carolina, and um, you know, I know. Coach Connors, that you weren't there, you know, my first couple of years there, but nobody can ever tell you that I was not diligent in the weight room. So for me, I was a small guy because where I came from, my hometown, we didn't have a weight room. 
You know, I used to lift weights with a broomstick and cinder block bricks on the side and it would slide off. I'm like, I did anything I could to, to try to prepare myself. Um, I had guys that I looked up to that played football. They never made it to the big level, but I had guys like Lawrence White um, in high school. When I was in the seventh grade, I looked up to him, you know, and I'm like, I watched him work out and, and he was, he was uh, with a family that was a little more well to do than we were. So he was able to afford, you know, you know, weights. And at that time, you, I know you guys remember the little cement weights with the, the gray oh, yeah. plastic around it. Yeah. So, so Lawrence had that. And I'm like, I dream of having a weight set like that, but <laughs> I didn't, I, I just lift with cinder blocks. And I'm like, man, when I get to a weight room, I'm going to lift, 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 and I'm going to come, I'm going to become big. I'm going to become strong, you know, and the first time I got to and a really organized weight room. Fork Union had a fair weight room, but it wasn't it wasn't what you call ideal. Um, but it was enough for me to start li- um, lifting. But by the time I got to East Carolina my freshman year, I think I was 195 pounds. I'm supposed to be playing linebacker. Um, but I was committed. I was dedicated. And at that point, I started lifting. And I mean, I would not miss a day. Jay Omer had to run me out of the weight room saying, that's too much. That's you're doing too much. Um, You know, you need to give your body a rest because I knew nothing about lifting. I just wanted to lift, whether it was squat, whether it was bench press, you know, whatever it was, I did what they asked. And I just worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, worked at it. Um, you know, sophomore year did the same thing. And then at sophomore, my sophomore year, coaches change. Um, Art Baker's out, Bill Lewis is in. And then um, you know, I think he kept the same. Yeah, I think Jay Omer was still our strength coach. Um, but he was looking to to make that change. Um I don't know technically what happened during that time, but it really didn't matter to me because whoever came to be the strength coach is like, I'm like, I think coach Connors, even when you came, I can't say you ever had a problem with me in the weight room. Did you? No, in fact, I never had a problem with anybody. Really? I mean, uh, when I got there, uh, there was great enthusiasm, uh, People were chomping at the bit to work. Uh, the guy that was there that was leaving, I can't remember his name, but uh, I had I actually had an interview with him. And uh, I guess Henry Van Sant wanted me to just get a little perspective on the program. Uh, so I interviewed with that strength coach before he left. And uh, then I found out when he left, he said, y'all got a leg freak coming in here. So, but he was, he was probably pretty right about that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I was, uh, I was very excited, uh, very cranked up to come to ECU and, and uh, the reception was wonderful. I mean, I was the only strength coach that whole summer. I had no assistant, no GAs or anybody until Tom Howley got there, I think uh, toward the fall. Uh, But uh, that was a great summer. Um, I enjoyed every day, and uh, 
and, and really, I, I really enjoyed the players because everybody welcomed me with open arms. And, uh, you know, I, we did some tough running that summer too. Um, we, we did, we did tough running, yeah. but it was, it was great for me to, to do that. You know, I welcome anything, anybody that knew what they needed to know about that to get me ready to play, to get me better. Um, you know, when you came in, you know, it, it, the, the knowledge and everything that you instill, you know, I absorbed all of that. And sometimes some things happen right at the perfect timing, you know, um, because a lot of things that you taught me, I took into the NFL. A lot of things that Coach Huxtable taught me, I took into the NFL, like the keys, reading, like some stuff I, you know, I implemented the plays that we had to implement, you know, in the pros, but some basic skills like, hey, you know, still today, I don't care if the offense is, is more of a passing geared offense, you know, the guards are never going to lie to you. They're never going to lie. And that's what Coach Hux taught me. So a lot of stuff that I learned, that's why I think it was planned. You know, like God says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, I could have gone to Notre Dame. I could have gone to Miami. I could have gone to, you know, some of these big schools, you know, Michigan, um, Oregon. Uh, um, I could have gone to some of these schools that unbelievable. But why East Carolina? Because there was something in my heart that felt loyal to some people that were loyal to me. And I think, you know, Art Baker should be commended for that um, because he stepped out and was willing to offer me something. He saw something in me that, that was worthy of giving that scholarship to whether I got the grades or not, they were going to take a chance on me. That's how much they believed in me. And that's how much I believe in them. So they taught me, what loyalty is all about. They taught me that. And, um, you know, getting there with you, Coach Connors, and understanding how you got to protect your body because the way kids train now versus back then, you didn't have all the technology. You didn't have all the stuff. We just draw what those, what's those little cans of milk that we used to drink? That was it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was. <laughs> That was it. That was it. But it was it was, it was a great time. It was a part of my life where I still remember and I carry and I share um, just how, you know, that part of my life plays such a a instrumental part of me growing up and learning how to become a professional athlete. And then, um, you know, of course, we uh, we have the great year um that we had in in 1991 and go on to play the peach bowl and then you know I get drafted you know of course I I get married you know I get drafted I get married and then I have kids and then I have a a I would say a great 10 year career in the NFL with Dallas um Rams, the Dolphins, and the Washington Redskins. And um, 
I, I wouldn't change anything that because because the way God works, um, if you are obedient, if you do everything He asks, um, you know things will unfold that way. So there's some things that that you know I'm a young guy. I make mistakes. I do things. You know, like any other typical person, when you turn on the television, you you see this person like like say for instance Tyreek Hill, you know, just settle with somebody that he just hit in the back of the head or something, and I'm like, man, it's just a stupid old boy. And I'm like, wait a minute, Rob, you were stupid too. You did stupid stuff too. Um, it, it's just a matter of you having somebody a little bit older that you can look up to, that can tell you, that can talk to you. And teach you how to not do some of those things. So, so I, I made it a point to to not criticize these youngsters so much. Just see, like, what's the root of their problem? You know, uh, what's what's the basketball player that plays for Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies? You know that 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 keeps getting in trouble with the guns and stuff. I forget his name, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy. I grew up wrestling, yeah. man, so I don't even follow basketball very yeah. much. <clears throat> but, I, you know, th- people would know who he is, so they, they know who I'm talking about. But anyway, um, you know, I, I blame his dad, you know, because I, yeah, he should be in his ear. I'm in my boy's ear, Zay and Levi. I'm in their ear all the time about how they conduct themselves or when they go somewhere. So – you know, as I move on with my career, as I move on with my career, um, another important thing that, you know, being a professional athlete, I made really, really, really good money. Um, and, you know, I had a financial advisor to take advantage of me. And when I had the financial advisor to take advantage of me, um, it basically wiped me clean. And, this is the part of the story that I told you that nobody knew about. So when they did that, um, you know, at first I didn't know what to do, but before that happened to me, I remember being in church and I remember raising my hand and I remember saying, Lord, test my faith. And I remember, you know, just saying it's all yours, you know, and I think most people out here, they get so comfortable because when they have a lot of money, it's very easy and it's very comfortable <clears throat> to to go to a, an event or go to church or praise God, you know, because you have your security. But where is really your security? Your security is in your money. So what happens if that money is taken away from you? What happens? What happens to your faith? What happens to, you know, all the things that you say you believe in? And that really happened to me. That happened to me. At one point, Coach Connors, at one point, and I know you remember when, when I came to uh, the the fitness place in Greenville, um, we were trying to put something together and just never really worked out um, yeah. at the at that point, I probably didn't have a thousand dollars in the bank. I didn't have nothing, and I was just trying to 
to make it. I was so interested in like, what, what is a way that I can rebuild my life? And I'm about to tell you how amazing that this is. And so, and so I'm like, how, how can I do this? I was trying several different, you know, outfits or, or how can I make this happen for me? How can I, you know, really get back on my feet? And, and, but I would not stop coming to East Carolina games um, because they've been loyal to me. I never asked East Carolina for nothing. You know, I did have a product that I was trying to sell and I was trying to get into East Carolina the right way. You know, I was a guy that just, I was just trying to figure out how do I financially succeed again? And I wasn't scared if anybody had found out. I didn't know if anybody even knew. I didn't know. Um, but I wasn't going to shy away from it because this was a part of the test that I went through. This was a part that, um, you know, most people don't want to go through. And um, so it, you know, you know, about 2015, it's about 2015. And I have a cousin of mine who I hadn't seen since I was 17 years old. I haven't seen him since I was 17 years old. He gets out of prison. He calls me. And, um, and for me, it's like, this is my cousin. This is my legitimate first cousin, his mom and my mom are sisters, my biological mom. So I talk to him, I get, get him on the phone with my family, get him to know my family. And, and to make a long story short, um, it got to the point where he said, can you give me some money? And I'm like, man, I don't have any money to give you. Cause at this point, if you're hearing my story, I didn't have any money. So he didn't believe me. He went through so many measures threatening me, you know, <clears throat> saying that, you know, I'll make up this. I'll tell this. I'll tell your wife that, you know, you had relations with your maid or something like that because at this point he's thinking i'm very rich and you know i didn't i didn't tell him that i wasn't and i i didn't tell him that i was it's just that that's what he believed and so he goes into he's from cleveland ohio he walks into a cleveland ohio police station and files a false police report stating that i tried to hire him to murder my agent. Oh my God. And yeah, and th this is something you can look up right now. You can look it up. You can go on Google right now. You type in Robert Jones, you type in TMZ, and you can see it. And when he did that, I mean, <clears throat> he took the article and he sent it to TMZ. TMZ posted, and then they hit other publications ESPN, Washington Post. Dallas Morning News, Raleigh News and Observer. They hit a bunch of different publications. I had family members, people calling me, hey man, what what the heck is going on with you? Like you trying to you paid a hit, man? And I'm like, man, I didn't do that at all. So life seemed like it was just crumbling down on me. I'm like, here it is that I'm struggling. 
no financial success, you know, uh, financial advisor ripped me off. Um, it, it's like, it's just, it came crumbling down on me. So I'm like, the only life I have is in my kids. And so I'm, I'm just really, you know, I'm going to keep pressing, keep pressing, been offered to do, you know, illegal things. I would not do them. You know, I had a, a, a gentleman that I knew in Texas that said, Hey man, if you take this, this load of stuff to this spot right here, I, you know, I give you a hundred grand. I'm like, man, I can't do that, man. As bad as I would have wanted that money. I didn't do that. I didn't do anything that would separate me from my family. I didn't do anything, you know, that violated what God would not want me to do. And, um, the, the most powerful thing that I felt like that I went through is that I sustained, you know, the, 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 the road that's less traveled, you know, and I'm not trying to sound religious, but I'm like, it, it is what it is. It's like, I, I kept my faith. I believe. And I'm like, I just wasn't going to do anything illegal to get what I need to get. I wasn't going to do anything wrong. I wasn't going to scam somebody. I wasn't going to do these things that would put me in a situation that I would never see my family again. And um, the amazing part of the story, the amazing part of the story is I move on and I try to just work and I try to just you know, I'm like, I got faith and I believe. And so I had a friend, my friend happened to be an attorney and I didn't go see him for this particular reason. I didn't go see him for this particular reason, but I walk to his office to go see him. He said, come on, let's go have lunch. And he's a great guy. He's a great guy. His name is Ben Brooks. And, um, we go eat. And he says, uh, so what's on your mind? And I said, Hey, I just, I'm looking for some opportunities. Yeah. I know you work with Krispy Kreme, you know, so forth and so on. And I said, it's just been tough since the incident happened to me with the whole accusation. And he said, what accusation? And when I told him, he said, waitress, can we get this food to go? He says, Robert, let's go back to my office. We walked back to my back to his office and he said, uh, did you do this? I said, absolutely not. He says, I, I wait here. He goes to his office. I'm in the conference room and then he checks something out. And he comes back. He says, go home to your lovely wife. I'll call you in about a week or so. So it was about two weeks. He called me and he's like, Robert, I started my own law firm. And I'm like, you did? You 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 quit? He said, yeah, I started my own law firm. So I didn't know what that meant at that time. And um, I just, I just kind of held it all in. And for me, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to move on. I didn't know what we we're going to do. Then he calls me in the office. And, you know, another two weeks later, we sit down. He says, Hey, I'm going to take your case on. I'm like, what case? And he's like, 
we're going to sue because I love you and I know you didn't do that. And when I tell you guys, God is amazing. God is amazing. I'm going to land this plane and I'm going to say to you that this dude left his job to take on one client. That client was me. He left his job because he studied the case and he knew that he would win. And we won at the Supreme Court level. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and that's an incredible and, story. And when we look at the whole thing, it's like the story of Job, where I went through so much. Where I went through so much and then come out end up better than what I was before. I started. So, so to say a second chance, um, God gave me a second chance. We went to the state Supreme court and we won. Mm. And TMZ. (laughs) So, so, you know, just to, just to kind of end with this is that, you know, your belief, and I haven't stopped working. I work, um, you know, me and my wife are empty nests. We love our kids. We're trying to go see all of them. You know, we have one daughter that lives here with our granddaughter. We have two grandkids now. Zay has a son. I think I told you that, Coach Connors. Yes. Yep. Yep. Zay has a son, and our oldest daughter has a daughter. So we love our, our grandkids and we, we just enjoy, um, you know, life now. And, and being the age I am, I'm 53, you know, it's it just feels better than it felt at 21. You know, um, sure. you know, I love everything that happened in my life. You know, did I enjoy every moment? No, but but in life. Sometimes you go through stuff and you do stuff that you don't have to do. I mean, I'm sorry, that you don't like to do, but it's it's necessary to get to where you want to go. And so that's that's the thing that I, I try to relay to my boys is in training camp. That's the thing I try to relay to, you know, my other kids who may work in regular jobs. It's like, hey. Just do what you need to do now because it's a it's a necessity. You got to do it, and then once you get to the point where you don't have to do that, then you can move on to somewhere else. You know, life brings you a bunch of ups and downs, but for me, that's what football was all about. To me, for me, that's what the four years I spent at East Carolina was all about. For me, that's what the ten years in the NFL were all about. There were a lot of ups and downs. It was disappointing to lose the third Super Bowl, I mean, or the third championship game against San Francisco when we lost to San Francisco. We won the first one. We won the second one. We lost the third one. And we won the fourth one. And then I move on to St. Louis, and we darn near lose every game. And then – the second year in St. Louis, we we lose half and we win half. And then we go to Miami, 
I go to Miami and then have the greatest football year career of my NFL career. And 99, just as good. And so is 2000. Um, you know, life has its ups and downs. And that's what football brought me, ups and downs. It's just how you handle it. It's like when God, when God, uh, God never says that we're not going to go, you know, through the storms. It's just what we're going to do when the storm comes. How, how do we react? How do we respond? You know, do we lose faith? Do we, do we keep faith? Um, you know, how do we respond to life's ups and downs and tragedies and stuff? We're going to lose people. You know, we're going to lose money. We're going to lose things that are dear to your heart. They're not going to be there forever. So those are the things that I experienced because through that, that time that I went, you know, through the stuff, I lost, you know, my aunt, who was my mom. I lost my money. You know, I lost a lot. You know, I had a son that got in trouble at the University of Texas, you know, can't afford to pay a lawyer, um, you know, for his. Um, his actions. So it's it's like navigating your way through something that that. is very, very difficult, but. Do you maintain the same integrity? Do you maintain the same morals that you would if you had everything at your access? So, you know, I can honestly say I went through that and I can honestly say I came through, you know, clean on the other side, just like Andy Dufresne said. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I got you. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Well, I got I got a few things that I want to hit before we wrap it up tonight. That's for sure. But uh, wow, I really appreciate so much you sharing all that information and your journey. And I will say this: uh, even when you were having really tough times, and I'm on the outside looking in, but it appeared to me like you were a great dad and a great husband through it all. And I I will applaud you for that. Um. You know, I talked to to uh, Kevin Colbert, the GM for the Steelers, for many, many years. Uh, I had him on a podcast. He retired and started something called Lend a Hand. For Steelers that are out there for four or five years, he said, Coach, the way I can explain this is when the lights go out, these guys get lost. So he has a Zoom call every month, and he's got about 30 guys on there now. And I started it. I don't know if you're aware, I started something Locker Room for Life for former ECU football players. I've had two of them so far. We got the next one on August 3rd, uh, Zoom call, 7.30 p.m. every first Thursday of the month. There'll be a presentation this time on men's health and also putting on the armor of God, which is my website, armoredlife.org. So we're going to talk about spiritual battle and how to arm yourself for spiritual battle every day. But, uh, you know, you you won that battle. So... uh, I applaud that, and I, I believe that you won it uh, with your faith and also the power of the Holy Spirit. No question in my mind was involved in that. So, uh, 
going back a little bit, I just want to mention too that uh, we got a little bit of a common thread. You know, you don't you don't hear the name Pearl very often, but I just want to share with you my mom's name is Pearl. Wow. So we don't hear that name very often, <laughs> and uh, and you know, praise God. You know, praise God for my mom. She's she's going to be eighty eight soon, and living right here in Greenville with my dad. Uh, you know, who was my high school coach. Uh, so uh, very, I'm very lucky, very fortunate to have them. Uh, going back to 91, just for a second, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, I got in there with Jerry and, and, and Sack and all them boys, uh, Dion and old David Daniels. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember so many guys, Kenny Burnett, uh you know, you look at Zion Kumalai and Greg Gardil, two inside defensive linemen. These cats weighed 241 and 242 and somehow got the, got the job done. And, uh, you know, I thought our offensive line and defensive line were basically overachievers that year. And, uh, you know, they, they busted their tails to get the job done. We, but, had, we had heart, man. We yeah. all had heart, yeah. So what I wanted to ask you was, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask is, what were the intangible qualities within the team that you recognize? You know, uh, sometimes when you don't have all all the talent, you you rely on skill, will, and perseverance. And that's uh, I heard uh, a military guy say that that's what Ukraine is winning on right now is skill, will, and perseverance. So that, that kind of remind me of that '91 team. You you know what. Um, Coach Connors, you know, I'm going to say it because it, it's a matter of fact. Um, I knew you heard of the – it wasn't rumors. It was it was, it was was factual that before Bill Lewis got there, when we would lose a game, guys would get in a locker room, and it was more the leaders. And I won't call any names, but there was more the leaders – of that team, the juniors and the seniors, and they would say, man, I got the biggest party. I got these girls coming to the room and this and that, and we having this big party. And I just wasn't used to losing. I wasn't used to losing. You know, there were guys, the freshmen that were playing and young guys on our team that we weren't used to losing. So we didn't know how – I didn't even know how to celebrate when – we lost. I just didn't. I didn't know how to celebrate. I wasn't a drinker. You know, I wasn't a smoker. I didn't do none of that stuff. So I didn't even know how to have fun. Hell, I didn't know how to have fun when we won. Right. I was I was just relaxed. So what I'm saying is, is that I think once those guys got out of there, the core guys of our junior senior group. When I became a junior, you know, George Coons was was a bona fide leader. He was a bona fide leader. Um, he was one of the guys that I would say that kind of started that trend, you know, of working hard. George used to love the weight room. George loved the weight room. George did everything he was supposed to do to get to where he needed to go. Um, I think he, you know, by going to junior college and learning, 
you know, and then getting his shot at East Carolina, because I'm sure he had desire to go to a school other than East Carolina, but East Carolina was where he landed. But he was a hard worker and he busted his butt. He busted his butt. And George don't know that he impacted guys like me. You know, he impacted guys like me. I think I was just more physical, physically um, talented. But George was the beginning of guys that put the work in, that put the time in. And we were going to do what we needed to do. We were all considered not, you know, uh, uh, five-star. They didn't have star ratings back then, but we weren't five-star guys. We weren't four-star guys. We were a bunch of two- and three-star guys that had heart and determination. Like, we were passionate about football. We loved football. I loved it. Jeff Blake loved it. Luke Fisher loved it. Deion Johnson loved it. We all loved football. Chris Hall, we loved it. And, and it's, it started to be a fever because if you remember, Richard Wright wasn't, he wasn't that really compliant. But then he caught the fever. Then he came on strong. You know, Greg Gardeo, he loved it. You know, Zion Kumalai, he loved it. Bernard Carter kind of had that that lazy act going, but then he caught the fever. He loved it. Jared Dillon loved it. Sack loved it. Kim Burnett loved it. I mean, just everybody followed the leaders of that junior senior year, 1990, 1991. They followed the leaders of that team, and we just – and I'm not saying it because it's my school, but we understood what bleeding purple was. Um, we knew we were outmatched sometimes. We knew we were, um, you know, probably not the, the ideal school to go into a place and beat Syracuse. The odds were against us. We know we were not, you know, picked to beat Pitt. The odds were against us, you know, should have beat Illinois, which I still feel like, to a celebrating penalty, man, you know, you know what I want to say about that. Yeah. But, but South Carolina beating South Carolina the way we did, like it was just determination. And then we finally had a staff that believed in us. We finally had a staff that believed that we could do it and trusted us. Um, you know, the hung in there with us and gave us all they had. We really had a good coaching staff. We had a great coaching staff. We had coaches on our staff that coached in the NFL. We didn't realize at that time how good they were. We just understood that they gave us their all. And we trusted them and we believed in them and we just wanted to do it. Size didn't matter. And I think when you got that chemistry, you don't have to be the biggest guy, you know, because Jeff was not the prototype size of a quarterback, but he played like that type of quarterback. You know, we all played like big time football players at the collegiate level. And a lot of teams did not want to play us. They did not want to play us. Oh, yeah. And that's why we ended up playing NC State. We played NC State, 
because NC State wanted to show the nation that we'll play them. We'll beat them too. We'll play them. But obviously, you know the results of that. Um, but nobody yeah. wanted to play us. Nobody wanted to play us because it, – and it wasn't because they thought that they would get – the score ran up on them. They knew they were in for a dog fight. Yeah. They knew that. So I think for us, it was just our heart and our determination. No doubt. Well, that uh, All right. that number nine ring ain't the biggest ring I got, but I treasure it the most. Ain't no doubt about that. And uh, Absolutely. I, I don't know what it's going to take for ECU to get back to that, but uh, I hope they can get there at some point because that was the vision, no doubt. The uh, – I wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, your family, your boys. There's not too many people that have three sons that played in the NFL. And uh, I know that a big part of that, of course, was your influence. And, you know, when you brought, I think you brought Caleb to UNC Chapel Hill when I was there, if I'm not mistaken. Was that true? Yep. That's it. That's true. And yep. uh, I don't know if Zay was with you then. But I remember Zay was Zay didn't come with us. He he was he was at my sister-in-law's house. He was here in North Carolina, but he was at my sister-in-law's house. But it was me and Caleb that came over. Well, when I first saw Zay, when whenever it was, he was very slight. Uh, I would have never anticipated the success that he's had. I was so. Uh, privileged to be able to train him during his career at ECU. And uh, I was so happy to see the progress that he made in the program. And not only did, you know, he came to me one winter and said, Hey coach, I want to gain about 12 or 15 pounds. And, you know, I, I pretty much shut down all his running and he worked so hard. Um, you know, we did a little bit of agility work and maybe some short stuff, but, uh, you know, six, seven weeks later, whatever it was, he had gained that 12 to 15 pounds. He was over 200 pounds. I hadn't timed him. He had run about a four, five, eight on that indoor surface. And, you know, and he lined up and hit a four, three, seven. And I'm like, wait a second, is my watch right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. we, we didn't do much speed work at all. But because he got strong in the muscle group groups it takes to overcome inertia and became more elastic, uh, he got faster. So, uh, you know, I was really so happy to see that result because everyone could always see how hard that he worked. And when you get guys that work that hard and then the, the other guys on the team see those results, you know, that's motivation to them as well. So uh, Zay is really a uh, an incredible story. And, uh, you know, I will – I want to give you props uh, on uh, on your, your influence, of course, on him as he grew up and as he went through his collegiate career. Isaiah um, was a very hard worker in high school. Um, he, was, he was small for the longest time, but I will tell you, he was the hardest working kid out of all three of the boys. He worked hard. He went outside. We lived on a, like a, a slight hill. He ran them hills. He lift weights. He would do push-ups in between commercials when we were watching, you know, movies or American Idol. 
Like he did all the small stuff. He did the pull-ups and I bought him a little pull-up bar to put on the door. Like Isaiah did everything. He would watch film. He listened. He studied. I'm like, he, he became a smart football player. So by the time he got to college, he could dissect stuff. He could, you know, I would, I would teach him. I'm like, look, I didn't play wide receiver, but I'm going to tell you what. I've covered some wide receivers. And this is what they're teaching us to do. So as a, as a defender, you know, I'm teaching him that. And then as a wide receiver, if he lines up in the slot, which he lines up in the slot, which a lot of linebackers used to cover down on him, I'm like, Isaiah, there should be no linebacker that can cover you, you know, and they always go for the first move. Like he listened to every little detail that I gave him. And I, I can't say the other two were that receptive, even though Levi played linebacker. I mean, he freelanced it. Um, but Isaiah is very studious. Um, he, you know, he he I would say get that from his mom. You know, he's a he's a nerd playing football, and that's what some people can't figure out about him. Isaiah's gonna know more about the guy that's covering him than he knows more about him. He's <laughs> gonna know, he's gonna know, he's gonna know if that guy is is weak, opening to his left or opening to his right. He's gonna know it. He is a smart, intelligent football player. You might not, you might want to take that segment out of this, you know, right here. It might give, <laughs> give away his secret, but he's a smart, smart football player. And the thing that that he can do also, and I told him when he was young, I said, learn to play every wide receiver position on the field. Learn what the running back is doing. I said, because when you can do multiple things, you're more valuable to the team. You can play the X, you can play the Z, you can play the Y, you can play the slot, you can play the R, you can play the F. So he knows it all. Just study what everybody's supposed to do what everybody's supposed to do. So um, he's always been that way. He's always been a, a, a overachiever. He works his butt off. And every time somebody says something negative against him, he found a way to put that chip on his shoulder. And he wears it into the season. So he right. went into the Jaguar season last year with that chip on his shoulder and I think everybody saw the results. And so he's got another one this year that he's carrying on his shoulder in the training camp. Um, you know, somebody called him a JV football player, you know, uh, uh, in, in relations to Calvin Ridley. So, you know, he's going to put that chip on his shoulder and just show him how much of a JV player he is. Right. East Carolina style. Yes, East Carolina style. So, so look, man. I um, I want to say this before I get off. Um, you know, I'm not saying this podcast is going to do a whole lot. I've talked to the athletic director. I've talked to head coach Mike Houston. You know, um, I've talked to them, and I'm like, you know, I was a consensus All American. You know, I need for East Carolina and the community to push for the college hall of fame. We've never had one 
in our school history. We've never had a college hall of fame. And I think I'm well deserving of it. And, um, you know, I think it'd be great for the school. It'd be great for me too. It just adds to the history of a small kid that comes from Blackstone, Virginia, you know, sat in his mom's arms while she died from a gunshot wound to, you know, achieving all these things. So, um, if you know of any people, you got any influence, or if this is going to make a difference, this, this video, this taping, then I say post it, let people hear it. Um, people need to hear life stories because what I told you and shared with you guys in this, in this segment, there are some people that go through life like this and some people give up and some people see it through. And the ones right. that see it, the ones that see it through, you know, come out clean like Andy Dufresne. That's right. <laughs> well, we're gonna try to get it yeah. out there to as many people as we can, that's for sure. And all right, uh, man. I really appreciate it so much. Uh I, the pirate faithful might have one more question. Uh I was thinking about is uh how did you and Jeff Blake end up marrying sisters? You know, um, I met my wife's sister first. Um, without going into so much detail. Yeah. When I met her, she was already dating someone. But I didn't meet her to date her. He happened to live in my in my suite. And their relationship didn't work out. And so we remained friends and um, meaning me and my wife's sister, we remained friends and always admire, you know, Jeff Blake. And, um, and, uh, but, but she would never approach him. So I was kind of like the, the lobbyist, you know, for where, I said, hey, man, hey, Jeff, uh, who you dating? So I had to find out if he was dating anybody because she wasn't trying to intervene or interfere. And, um, you know, just so happened he wasn't dating anybody at that time. And I said, hey, this girl here wants to wants to meet you. So I introduced him. And when I introduced him, um, you know, here it is a week or so later. You know, I'm over at her place, you know, he was there as well. And I'm like, who is this girl right here? She's like, that's my sister. And I'm like, that's who I want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's who I want to talk to. And, um, and then she made the introduction. And so obviously we dated yeah. the rest, we dated the rest of our college, um, rest of my college career. And then I proposed to my wife after I got drafted and, uh, you know, that's how we ended up doing that. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I thought that was interesting back in the yeah. day when y'all yep. were, were dating sisters and then ended up getting married. So uh, it yep. worked out very well for you. Yep. It's unfortunate though that um, you know Jeff and Luana got a divorce, and uh, yeah. You know, I I don't know if I was meant to, if it was meant to be said on here or not, but you know, just didn't want people to get 
you know, any false ideas or anything like that, you know, things happen. Um, they are, they are really good friends though, after the divorce, but they've moved on in different directions. So, um, that's how it happened. And, um, everybody stays in contact with each other. Yep. Well, Robert, thanks so much. Uh, I want to be signing off. I'm, I'm hoping maybe I see you and Carrie one of these days, maybe for lunch or dinner, I'll stay in touch. Okay. uh, Sounds good. Three or four, three or four days a week. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Okay. So this is Jeff Weiner signing off for uh, Absolute Empowerment. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Bye. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!